Hi, my name is Diego Fontanile, and you are listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. Listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 80. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. See ya, Stock. Всем привет! Hey son, hey son! Good. We're back uh, with a new interview episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're getting to that part very, very soon. But first, how are you guys? Very well, thank you. Everything's Indeed. super duper. Everything is going okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember my uh, my call for um, for invitations Ooh. to speak around? And uh, yeah. apparently, we might get an invitation from Germany. Um, so good news. Very good. Very nice. Susan, myself, and hopefully a bunch of skeptics in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to reveal any details just yet because it's, it's, it's all in the making. So it's, it's, it might not even happen, but, but, uh, yeah, it looks very yeah. promising. I am working actually on a prelude to your skeptical uh, trip with, uh, with Susan? Uh, Susan. Yeah, okay. ah! because uh, I think I can say it here now. Uh, it seems ninety-five percent certain that uh, Susan Gerbic and Mark Edward will come to Oslo uh, a week before the European Skeptics Congress. She, oh they they will have a skeptics in the pub meeting there. Then they will go to Stockholm and do another one there. Then they will go to Copenhagen and have one there. Then they will come over here to Malmö, where I live, and have a fourth one there before they go to to the European Skeptics Congress. So Susan will really do Europe this year. Amazing! Yeah. That's amazing. And are you going to be following her, uh, them? Um, I know. At least for the Copenhagen and Malmö part? Copenhagen and Malmö, I think so, yes. Okay, Malmö, good. absolutely. Copenhagen, I believe so. Wow. Mm-hmm. Lucky you. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll amazing. be great. Fantastic. Brilliant. Susan, Susan is pretty, pretty lucky to, to, to do that tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm really hoping for her to, to be able to gain... Uh, a lot out of this uh, in terms of uh, new editors and and new people to work with. And uh, I can also say that the Swedish skeptics uh, have now put out their uh, uh, procedures or so for how to get a free ticket to the European Skeptics Congress. It's all Mm -hmm. up there. Anybody can apply. You you have to be a member of the Swedish skeptics. We talked about that before, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can be that. You can become that, and then you can be part of the raffle to win one of the 15 tickets that we are handing out. Wow, that is brilliant. Woo-hoo. Okay. Indeed. Is it for is it for the whole thing or uh, for the... We, the yeah, the it's, for, it's for the whole Congress, of course. Uh, yeah. we, three of the tickets will include the gala cruise on the river, mm-hmm. and uh, the other 12 will be only for the actual congress but if you win one of those you can pay the extra 50 
uh, euros and then join the the gala dinner on gala cruise if you want to so yeah and you're still better off than than paying for the whole thing yourself yeah oh absolutely wow. mm. oh nice yeah if if there are any uh, organization following that example then please let us know uh because we would love to promote your uh, your initiative to uh to provide people with those tickets amazing wow mm. okay so, right. so many good things going on up there mm-hmm. we do our best Scandinavia is the best, <laughs> but <laughs> we're going to have to turn our skeptical eye towards uh, other uh, countries as well. There are still a lot of other things going on in, in Europe. You know that. You know you can go to our events in Europe page uh, on our webpage at theesp.eu and see everything else that's uh, coming up. And very soon, I hope we can add also uh, Susan Gerbix and Mark Edward on there. Uh, skeptical things oh sorry the skeptics in the pub thing they will do in in oslo stockholm malmo copenhagen but there are already a lot of stuff there so go and have a look Mm. and if you want to get in touch you can um do it via several ways um you can follow us on twitter our twitter handle is espodcast underscore eu you can email us email address is info at theesp.eu or you can go onto our website theesp.eu and complete a contact form. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Um, and if you get our podcast on iTunes, please leave us a review. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you can contact us with all sorts of different different things. Uh, if you want to promote your uh, events, if you want to uh, promote your ideas, if you want to discuss something with us, uh, raise a few questions, feel free to to contact us. And now it's time to move on to our interview. And this is the first in a series of interviews that we specifically record because of the European Skeptics Congress that's coming up in September. And we would like to give a a chance to our listeners to to get prepared to familiarize themselves with uh, what's to be expected at the European Skeptics Congress. And of course, uh, there are a couple of interviews that are already available with people who will be speaking at the Congress. Uh, um, The names uh, that you will already be able to find are Sanal Adamaruku, Ovidio Kovacu, Sophie Vantornut, Susan Gerbeck, Massimo Polidoro, Deborah Hyde and James Randi. But uh, we will be uh, recording interviews with uh, uh, hopefully all the speakers of the European Skeptics Congress uh, in the coming weeks and months. The first of which will be with Diego Fontanive from Italy, uh, but he currently lives in uh, Lisbon, Portugal, actually. Um, And he's the founder of the EUF project and among uh, other things, we'll be talking about that. On every other episode, we usually interview a person representing an organization or project, either from a certain European country or stretching across borders. In the next couple of months, in anticipation of the upcoming 17th European Skeptics Congress, we'll interview speakers of this exciting event and try to help our audience familiarize themselves with their work prior to this international convention. This week, our guest is Diego Fontanive, who's the founder of the EOF project that aims to understand our epistemic acceptances. He's also the creator and tutor of the critical thinking course All in the Mind for the Cambridge eLearning Institute and the board director of the Atheist Alliance International. 
At the 17th European Skeptics Congress, he will give a talk with the title Metamomatic Thinking and Skepticism as a Meme. Diego, welcome to the show. Pleasure. First of all, the EOF project, by that name, I don't think anyone will be able to f- to to figure out what it's all about. So, who else uh, would be best to ask about it than the founder himself? So, would you mind telling us what the project is all about and how it came to be? Yes. So, the project uh, came into being as an idea, um, let's say, maybe probably 10 years ago. Uh, and uh, the idea was mainly um, uh, an inquiry about this, the, the state of critical thinking nowadays. Uh, There are several uh, um, unbiased studies uh, that actually prove that even uh, students that uh, study critical thinking at the university, the percentage of the students that actually understand what critical thinking is all about is uh, incredibly small. We are talking about less than the 20%. And the students that actually apply the uh, critical thinking skills in their uh, actual daily life is even uh, smaller than that, um, which is like um, uh, an indication that uh, the way critical thinking is delivered properly doesn't really quite work, um, because it's mainly um, uh, delivered as a form of learning, but there is not really much like uh, an attempt to understand and then to apply uh, what critical thinking skills are, are, are all about. So the project, was, uh, the project came into being as an attempt to, uh, uh, first of all, investigate in this problem, and then trying to find out if uh, uh, there is a possibility to actually increase our, uh, our high-order thinking skills uh, in order to like, detect you know, logical fallacies. And uh, um, the problems, especially the problem regarding memes, the project is mainly uh, interested in uh, um, what is known as m- uh, memeplex, which is a complex of memes that can uh, influence greatly a uh, person's psychology. So the, in, the project's intent is not to tell people what they should think, but is to, ma- is to make people analyze the structure of their own thinking. And uh, we are not talking only about f- former religious people or people that s- that still somehow uh, ingrained in some sort of religious thinking or spiritual thinking, but we are talking about pretty much everybody. So the project works in the field of education. Okay, and um, how how did you? go about investigating this problem of, of, of uh, applying critical thinking? So what we do basically is uh, we mainly work with questions. Uh, we, don't, we don't deliver answers or we don't deliver solutions. We propose to people to remain with the questions. Let me give an example. Um, if I believe that uh, there is such a thing as the law of attraction and uh, by thinking in a certain way I can attract positive things, so uh, if, I, if I realize that I'm sticking to a conclusion and I do not, uh, I'm not inquiring about the validity of the premises, so if I suspend for a, for a little while this uh, attachment to the conclusion and uh, also through a method like critical thinking, uh, I investigate in the validity of the premises, obviously if I find out that there is even a single premise that is invalid, Obviously, my conclusion must be invalid 
as well. So this is a simple way, uh, it's a very simple way to explain how we uh, work with people and also how we collect the data in this way and what our, uh, for a lack of a better word, methodology actually is. So can you give us an example to the problem? To the problem? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you talked about uh, the problem with applying critical thinking, even though people learn about critical thinking, but they cannot apply that in real life. So can you give us examples? Well, for example, I have a friend of mine, which is a, a professor of biology. She also runs a course about critical thinking. She mentioned an example that to her was a little bit traumatic. So basically... She had a friend, uh, this person went through three uh, different levels of courses about critical thinking and, uh, and she got the certificate. Uh, when she finished that, after a few months, she decided to become a Reiki, a Reiki teacher. Uh, so that, that, that was quite shocking. So this person was uh, wondering what uh, went wrong actually. How can possibly a person go through uh, three years of uh, courses about critical analysis and then the person becomes a Reiki master. So basically this person wanted to uh, inquire about what the problem actually was. And the problem is basically very simple. I mean, uh, we have been educated to learn, uh, but we, have, we haven't been educated to analyze what we learn properly, which means that we, we learn but without a proper understanding of what we learn. And same goes with critical thinking. Because, for example, there are uh, so many fallacies, logical fallacies, that we uh, carry around throughout our lives. So one matter is to learn about them, to learn how they work, and to learn what they are all about. Another matter is to uh, apply the critical thinking skills in the actual psychological life we live every day. So the problem is uh, a problem of actual understanding and application. Uh, uh, to give an example, um, we tend to uh, associate ourselves to certain groups very often not really because we really believe the value offered by that, this or that group, for example, atheism uh, or uh, skepticism. I came across many atheists that uh, they decided to, uh, to join a specific uh, atheist organization, but not really because they cared about the, those values, but because they wanted to be a part of something. So my proposition is, can we say that sometimes a value like atheism or a, or a virtual like skepticism is nothing but a meme the person sticks to? And how can we realize if this is uh, a factor or not? So, uh, and another example can be, for example, uh, a person that doesn't believe in, uh, in religion, but uh, believes in uh, political ideologies, such as nationalism, for example. We highlight how religious thinking is not necessarily related to having a faith or going to the church or to the temple or to a mosque. But religious thinking is a form of thinking that implies following something without uh, critical analysis of that process of following. Yeah, I, th I think so. But so, so you're saying that people are following things without a rational reason to do so, or they, they attach to an idea or political idea or a religion without really know, analyzing why they do it. So 
how 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 do we is there a solution to that problem can we teach people to to attack their own beliefs in a critical way i think so people have the tendency to rely or to follow to adhere to large groups where large groups where many people share and belong uh, you know collectively accepted uh, ideas or or or, or ideologies uh, this is what happens also nowadays with, uh, in social media so the group creates a sense of cohesion somehow and a sort of psychological security. But the problem is that the participation to a group without critical thinking skills actually erodes the necessity to find out for ourselves, to, to question, to be skeptical about it. Uh, and considering that we all have like pretty much a tendency to be imitators and replicators, um, I would say especially throughout the childhood, then of course uh, the addition to whatever uh, memeplex, which is a complex of memes, which could be physical, like for instance like a church or whatever social trend or fashion, or could be virtual, like a group, uh, like a new age group on Facebook, they, or you know, pe- the people believe that the planet is flat. Whatever addition to like a memeplex actually greatly compromises the critical thinking skills that a person should possess. But isn't it very important also for people to have a sense of belonging, to feel part of a group or so? So is is there a conflict between critical thinking and and identifying with a group or a movement or whatever? Not at all. For example, it would be delusional that we we should not uh, uh, be a part of some group uh, because otherwise that will disintegrate our critical thinking skills. No, I think the purpose of the group is actually to implement uh, through like, you know, uh, uh, networking, proper networking, uh, proper conversations. But the point is, does the person join a group out of, as the first priority, the desire to be a part of something and therefore to have some sort of like uh, identity? Or does the person join a group because the, the person believes that there is something good in that group, but uh, the person, throughout the process of joining a specific group, the person keeps a proper critical analysis of what the person is doing. And usually that's not what happens. I, I came across many atheists that uh, they, were not, they are not aware that they are not atheists at all. There is a president of a um, quite important atheist organizations and this person doesn't believe in God but the person believes in faith so I'm not sure that you know uh, what does it mean to be a part of a group exactly a group that shares particular values also uh, skepticism Uh, does it mean that we are a part of another ideology or a a meme a miniplex and therefore we are conditioned by it and therefore we are limited by it or it means that we are trying to inquire together so to grow a, a, a progress in our psychology and therefore collectively. So the problem with atheists, for example, I am uh, in this organization, which is an atheist organization, but I personally do not quite like to call myself an atheist um, because it's mainly a category. I understand that we do need categories, but uh, it's a little bit limiting because... Uh, I repeat, there are many atheists that uh, they call themselves atheists, but they apply they apply religious thinking on something else. 
let me say, let me explain what I mean by religious thinking. Religious thinking uh, is uh, is not necessarily related to a deity, like following uh, some holy scriptures or some gods or some spiritual stuff. Religious thinking is a cognitive modality through which a person follows without questioning. For example, you know, there are people that are willing to camp when the, uh, a new iPhone uh, is about to be released. There are, uh, I remember in China, that uh, probably a couple of years ago, there were people camping for a couple of weeks so, uh, yeah. in order to so, buy. So you mean that's, that's a dedication that is not rational, it's, more, it's almost like a religious belief, or it's the same kind of thinking? It, yes, yes, it is not about deities, of course, but it's a glorification of something... Uh, and uh, veneration of something without a proper uh, analysis of the, uh, the behavior which is behind that. So, uh, um, or for example, nationalism could be a form of religious thinking. There are people that are willing to um, perform a plenty of irrational uh, activities just out of their faith for their favorite football team. And not to mention to hurt other people because they belong to another football team. So we see that how the mimetic thinking is not only something that belongs to religion uh, or spirituality, New Age. It's something that we all have, more or less. Uh, a, a form of mimetic thinking could be like the dependence of like the, some sort of OCD necessity of cleaning the house. It has another form of religious thinking. Or uh, worshipping um, and venerating a, a specific fashion or celebrities. I mean, people that are the young teenagers that uh, follow and scream and uh, uh, because of Justin Bieber, because they like Justin Bieber, there's a form of religious thinking. If we, um, on a little bit more spectacular scale, if we compare a big religious ceremony, and with a Stalinistic parade, we can see that there are different beliefs, but this, the behavioral structure is pretty much the same. So if we take, for example, big ceremony in India, uh, Hindu ceremony, we have big pictures, uh, big decorations, a lot of people, they follow the same, uh, same path. And if we compare this with a, a Stalinistic parade or North Korea parade, we can see there are different pictures, different objects. They don't worship a god, they worship ideology. But the cognitive and behavioral structure of it is the same. Yeah, no, I understand that. So what, what would you say is the solution to this? How do, how do we change people's behavior or people's uh, tendencies to, to, to fall for blind uh, worship, whatever, if it's an iPhone or a deity? Well, I don't think we can really change people's behavior, uh, especially when people are uh, too much ingrained uh, in, in, their, uh, in their beliefs, in their memes, that we cannot change uh, the way of thinking that a jihadist person has. I think there is no way. When a person is, a, especially when a person is a Muslim, that's very difficult to change because uh, Islam does not uh, admit any... Uh, reforms is quite actually clear that they should not even think about reforms so we do not change our mind but if we want to talk about a solution I guess that the only uh, solution we have is education uh, by education I do not necessarily refer to uh, the school system also that obviously 
but uh, everything that, in, that implies uh, learning and understanding, uh, for example, parenting and uh, media, uh, internet media, uh, conventional media. So this means that um, also this is what we are trying to do with the project. We are just moving the first little steps. We are trying to develop uh, programs to, uh, and then to offer those programs to uh, media, to uh, uh, local schools. Uh, we are trying to work uh, with the people inside the United, uh, the United Nations, trying to see if there is a possibility to uh, activate uh, like an experiment, for example, picking uh, a bunch of small towns and uh, trying to run these programs in their school in, in their schools and to see like in uh, one year time range what kind of results we have. Now, education is the, I believe, is the only like solution we can use to uh, not change the way people think, but uh, shape uh, the, the, the proper way to think for the, other, the next generation. And then meanwhile also, people that are willing to approach this can work on, on it, which is also what we are doing right now. But it's pretty much about education. The EOF stands for End of Fear. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about where does that name come from? <laughs> yes, this End of Fear is merely a slogan. Uh, there, there are fears that we have that are necessary. For example, for instance, um, natural fear. If I if I'm working in a forest, then uh, a tiger shows up. Obviously. I have to be in fear, cognitively speaking, in order to uh, defend myself or trying to escape or like whatever is necessary. So we are not talking about, I think we have to be clear to distinguish what is natural fear and what is irrational fear. Um, by end of fear we uh, uh, refer to uh, our irrational uh, fears, irrational concerns. For example, fear of God. Uh, I think uh, th- we should end that fear. Fear uh, when people are spiritual, uh, because uh, um, spirituality has less structure than religion, um, which makes a person even mo- more confused, especially the New Age. Uh, often, people that are involved in these beliefs, they struggle with the fear of being not good enough for what they call their... I don't know, spirit guides or angels or whatever the belief implies. Obviously, a person that carries around irrational fears like this is a person that struggles uh, uselessly, is completely useless. So when we work with these people, when they're willing to work, uh, we, we try to make them quite capable to comprehend the irrationality behind their fears. By working on it, hopefully, actually this is what happens in most of most cases, they become capable to reason it out and therefore to end rational fear. But by end of fear, we do not refer to like you know living uh, fearless. That will be delusional. So it's basically that that fear can lead to the, the completely irrational decisions and people joining irrational movements. So out of fear, and and this, uh, you've mentioned uh, nationalism and xenophobia and that kind of thing. So um, a, a sense of belonging 
to a group, but we can fear anything that is outside of our group's focus and, and our group's... Pretty much, but let me say something. When people join uh, whatever um, spiritual belief, or maybe a spiritual cult, or like sect, or like uh, gurus, uh, there are so many gurus nowadays, especially uh, online, on YouTube, and many, and many uh, new sects, and new cults, and they are pretty much all similar. But we are investigating, what is the reason why a person joins a spiritual group, exactly? Uh, is it really because the person wants some sort of enlightenment, some revelation? I don't think that's true. I don't think that those people really care about uh, becoming enlightened or like uh, becoming like their gurus are. Uh, I don't think, I don't even think they are looking for some sort of liberation. I think that what they are searching is a sense of security, which is completely fallacious, but they don't care about it. I lived in Bali, Indonesia for five years. So um, I lived in the cultural uh, center of Bali, which is a mecca for uh, uh, New Age people, Western New Age people. It's pretty much like Hawaii, probably worse. So I, I came across plenty of them, and... Uh, uh, I try to study them. So basically, I believe that the reason why a person clings to a spiritual belief is because the person is confused. I mean, India is the homeland of spirituality. Because India is the homeland of confusion. I've been there as well. But it's not, I don't want to offend anybody, but that is a matter of fact. So there are parts of India where you have a guru every like 50 meters. So the, the question is, are we clinging to spiritual beliefs out of our confusion, ignoring that a confused mind can only think in terms of confusion? So what are we proposing is that, let's try to analyze this. And when we realize that we have the, uh, some sort of cognitive confusion, which means contradictions and uh, invalid uh, ideas, invalid premises that we carry around, I think that probably we should give the priority to the study of our own confusions, rather than searching for solutions outside. But, well, ideology is pretty much the same. So, the, um, what I'm trying to say is that the adhesion to a miniplex, which I repeat could be a faith, a religion, a spiritual group, an, ideology, an ideological group, is an easy way to uh, gain a sense of um, self-esteem or a sense of like, psychological security by being a part of something, but without a critical analysis of the reason why we do that, then it's going to be a problem, and we have like historical evidence of it. Uh, you have my group, but then there is another group that believes in something else, and we come to fight. For example, in terms, a, a very simple example about uh, what I was trying to explain before, and uh, in terms of lack of critical thinking skills and, uh, and good skepticism, when we talk about freedom of religion, it is a big deal because often fields such as humanities and humanists, very often there are plenty of people that protect freedom of religion as a human right. So, including some people that claim to be skeptics. So now, if we really want to look on, without biases this and very critically, very skeptically, we come to realize that any time we defend the freedom of religion, we are also defending freedom to indoctrinate, because there cannot be religion 
without a certain process of indoctrination. So you see, I think this is a healthy skepticism that is also quite indisputable. Because we cannot possibly say that there can be religion without indoctrination, which, which is a, a vertical, I mean, throughout a generation after another. And then also it could be uh, horizontal, pretty much like the Jehovah's Witnesses try to do, or uh, and nowadays in social media. So now, how can we deal with uh, freedom of religion as a human right, uh, which also implies uh, something that is against the human rights? Uh, there is also something else that there is a bunch of experiments I use in the critical thinking course. There is um, something. I show people a picture and I ask them to look at the picture for, let's say, five seconds. And then I ask them to, um, they have a, a five seconds to write down what the perception of the picture told them. So the picture is a very simple picture. It's a picture of a baby, a child, probably five years old, Asian child, wearing a, some sort of Buddhist-like tunic outfit in the position of praying. And uh, so I ask people to write down in a single word what they perceived from that picture. So the overwhelming majority of people write stuff like cuteness, spirituality, Buddhism, maybe it's not even Buddhism, maybe it's Zen or Taoism, or uh, wisdom, or they write uh, innocence. Well, the right answer is indoctrination, because as a matter of fact, that child knows nothing about what he's doing. It's not about cuteness, it's not cute at all, it's not wisdom at all, it's not uh, innocence at all. Uh, uh, the, the right answer is indoctrination. But they, you, you see, even people that, pre- that are really willing to uh, apply critical thinking analysis, they, they perhaps fall on these basic things. Um, I mean, there are many experiments we can run. For example, um, well, simple things, asking people, uh, do you think there is fire on the sun? And uh, uh, probably the majority of people will answer yes. Uh, almost automatically, I mean, in a matter of like the less than one second, without properly thinking that you know that there is no oxygen in the sun, on the sun. So there cannot possibly be fire on the sun. It, it looks like that, but it's not a barbecue. So, so you mentioned before uh, the critical thinking course, uh, the all-in-the-mind course with the Cambridge e-learning institute. What is the f- focus of that, and who is it available to? The first part is a basic uh, um, critical thinking course. So the ba- the, the basis, like the analysis, um, how to theorize, uh, how to uh, understand an argument without arguing, and uh, um, the, all the, the methodologies about critical thinking. The second part is more about it goes more into like mimetic thinking, cognition, which is thinking about our thinking, and mimiplexes, and how mimiplexes greatly affect the way we think, and the, the, also the course delivers that obviously evidence. And is supported by uh, scientific uh, documents, of course. And uh, uh, the purpose of the course is not only to learn all of these things, but to uh, try to see if we can actually apply 
that in our lives. And, and who is it open to? What's the target audience, target group for the course? Oh, well, but, uh, obviously it doesn't work with the religious people or people that are looking for some spiritual path or spiritual revelation. Uh, the target is uh, people that are willing to investigate into these things and trying to raise a element in their own mind and also their behavioral lives. Uh, we mainly have, um, well, well could be professionals uh, there are people that are trying to they are, they are trying to recover for the, from their former beliefs, but um, most of those people are actually ex spiritual people more than religious people. And uh, um, but then we, well, we have pretty much all sorts of people at different ages, like uh, different countries. But obviously, it doesn't it doesn't work for a person that doesn't want to change. Um, it's funny enough that, that we had some cases that people that uh, they contact us because they want to do work with us about their uh, irrational fears um, and uh, uh, funny enough that was that these people, the reason why the people w wanted to comprehend their fears for example fear of speaking in front of an audience is because they wanted to, to, to teach to people properly Astrology, so they they believed in astrology, so they, they were not capable to comprehend what we are doing. They developed this idea: okay, if I do that, I will I will have no problem to preach and to teach astrology to my clients. <laughs> Ironic. <laughs> so then, obviously, when they understood, I think usually it takes probably one two months. Then they obviously disappear. <laughs> and not only that, we have plenty of people that uh, try to disprove us and say crazy things. Like, but that's quite typical. Uh, when you highlight beliefs, then people fight back. Um, often very ugly ways. But I have plenty of uh, emails like the, you know, dead threats and stuff like that, or saying, ah, you are, you are delusional. Uh, uh, it's funny when people accuse me to, to be a psychic vampire. <laughs> I don't know quite what that means. What, uh, what do you think makes um, this course different from other courses, uh, particularly those that, that you think might not be effective in teaching people how to think critically? Yeah, that's a good question. There is a problem. Probably because of courses about critical thinking. You know, they are very well done, very accurate. The problem is that critical thinking alone it is very technical and it doesn't quite work if it's, if it's kept alone. Uh, critical thinking uh, uh, applied together with uh, uh, metacognitive thinking skills, metacognition, and with memetics also. So metacognition is the, the study in the, the, the structure of the, of the way we think. There cannot be efficient metacognition without critical thinking. There cannot be productive critical thinking without metacognition. And also we applied it together with memetics, so the study of memes, the study of mimiplexes. Starting, for example, our, the first mimiplex we went through is our family. Now, no matter if our, we had a good family or bad family, but as the first mimiplex where for so many years we lived and therefore we absorbed what we've been told and this and that, their uh, idea about how a person should think. And most people fail to recognize this. 
uh, or maybe they recognize that, but only superficially. So we also apply all these things in the course. And it's not just about, I think that the, the major mistake in critical thinking is the process of learning the techniques, how to understand an argument, for example, which is important. But, you know, thinking is not really quite a technique. It, 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 it requires technique, but it's not only a technique. Because then maybe a person like uh, uh, has becomes over-emotional over something that is completely irrational, and so the person knows about critical thinking but becomes uh, emotional about something else. I've seen a video about like a professor in critical thinking. Um, the video is on YouTube. Uh, this person is giving a lesson at the university about critical analysis. Uh, there is a girl the, sitting in the first line, a pretty girl, but quite sexy girl. So she probably has to go to the washroom. She moves, and the moment she moves, the professor becomes completely distracted, and you start like blumbling around. So I, I, found, I find this quite interesting and funny at the same time, because we have a person that's supposed to be an expert about critical thinking, but he fails to remain like attentive during a lesson just because there is a girl that has to go to the washroom and looks a little bit sexy. Uh, so I understand the biological aspect of that, but it's not really what you expect from a person that speaks about critical analysis, right? I personally had plenty of examples about people that know about critical thinking, but they know nothing about metacognition. I, I had a, a speech with an uh, emeritus professor uh, of metacognition in Paris. And when he came to talk about critical thinking, this person said that she had no idea about what critical thinking is. So I found very strange that an emeritus professor in metacognition knows nothing about critical thinking. I mean, it's like, a, I don't, if I know how like a um, volcano works, but I don't know nothing about geology. So I mean, the problem with critical thinking that is is most of the time only technical. So it's about learning. And it's not about unifying together different uh, fields of study. And this is what we do in the course, uh, and also with other initiatives. In the critical thinking community and in the skeptic community, there are, uh, I wouldn't say lots, but there are several, several very prominent people who have some kind of spiritual or believer background. Uh, one of the examples, and she will be talking at the European Skeptics Congress herself, and thus we are uh, planning to, to interview her, uh, Susan Blackmore. And as far as I know, even you're the co-founder of EOF uh, project, uh, Jessica Schab. I think she's coming from a spiritual background as well, right? Oh, yeah, 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 greatly. <laughs> so my question is, does it really help when you, you want to reach spiritually-minded people to have some kind of a background so you can more easily make that connection that that no one else without a background could, could do? Yes, I believe so, because it's like kind of speaking the same language. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have a spiritual background, but I see people that had a background that is easier to them to engage, people that are at least willing to talk about this idea of like uh, spirituality uh, yes it does work uh, it does work for sure because it's like yeah pretty much sharing the same language uh, then it's up to uh, 
these people's willingness to go deep into this matter. Yeah. What is what is your professional background? Well, I have a background in like political science mainly and sociology and a little bit of psychology and critical thinking. When I first saw EOF's logo, it reminded me of uh, some spiritual symbols like uh, mandalas or, or, or that kind of thing. Is that real and is it intentional? I tell you what. Well, f- first of all, it's no longer the, uh, the actual logo. Ah, okay. <laughs> that logo was the I Ching. Uh, which is uh, yes, it is a little bit spiritual. Um, also, it, it has been like uh, involved with Carl Jung and stuff like that. But let me say something strange. For a very long time, probably years, I tried to um, play a trick with when the EF project was not, uh, uh, let's say, consolidated as a project. It was mainly like an idea and going around on, especially social media. I, I wanted to play a trick, uh, also to see how people were, were reacting, and specifically targeting conspiracy people and uh, spiritual or New Age people more than religious people. So I tried to, uh, even if I don't have a background in spiritual, spiritual stuff, I tried to talk a little bit with their language. So delivering... Uh, something that is complete, completely mumbo-jumbo and uh, pretending to appear like if I believed in that. So, uh, not really too much mumbo-jumbo, but enough mumbo-jumbo, like, you know, uh, for example, talking about vibrational field and all this sort of stuff. So, nonsense. But together, I also used to mix together with, like, uh, unbiased proposition to inquire about beliefs, about this and that. So I intentionally did that to create a little bit of mystery. So to um, make these people a little bit more comfortable and to see how far they were willing to go with the rational comprehension and skeptical analysis of these things. Uh, I think that was maybe probably a little bit dishonest, but this is also what James Randi did, by the way, in, in another form. I think that, um, you know, the problem with skepticism is that uh, when we say, ah, that's crap, that's nonsense, that's delusional, uh, when, when it is really delusional and it is really nonsense, the, this approach uh, um, can represent a problem because we only attract people that are on, the, on our, the same line with us. But we discharge people that perhaps are a little bit willing to inquire, to question, but when we say something like this that's completely delusional, then those people do not even like uh, try to give it a try. This is also the point uh, of uh, Susan Blackmore. If you say that uh, the totality of spirituality is delusional, which is something that I actually agree, but if you say that, you do not really approach those people that are involved somehow in some spiritual idea, but they are also willing to question it. So it's too much to them. I believe that we should speak a little bit their language without uh, implementing their gullibility, of course. To my mind, the, the totality of the concept of spirituality is nonsense. 
because uh, there is no such a thing as a spiritual person. Uh, there is no such a thing as a, a spiritual experience. <laughs> I had a meeting uh, long ago that was uh, like a conference that was like a neuroscientist that um, was actually defending uh, the existence of spiritual experiences. And what I asked him was, but why do we, why are we calling them spiritual experiences just because it's romantic, it, it appeals to us? Why don't we call them just high emotional experiences? Or maybe for a little while. I know it's less cool, it's less uh, romantic. And just why do we call yoga yoga and not just exercises? Did you get a response from that group of people you were targeting from the New Age group of people? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, I, I did. The majority of the responses were uh, uh, about people that believed that I was one of them. Right, so you didn't manage to get them to think about their beliefs in a critical way and get them to question their own beliefs then? To say that probably that... Um, Maybe the 30% of them, which is a significant like uh, uh, collection, yes. Yes, because that's how they understood, okay, okay, you are one of us, because you believe in vibration and quantum stuff or all this stuff. But there is something else, there is something I never, I never thought about before, like really analyzing what is behind it, what do we mean by raising our vibrations exactly? I mean, really tangibly, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by quantum healing? And what is that we want to heal, by the way? So, you know, you see, basic questions that uh, lead to a little bit more deep questions and so on. Yes, that actually worked with, uh, of course, a minority of people. You cannot expect that to work with the majority of people. Um, that, that was because there's a little bit of problem of ignorance. Uh, but, you know, when people talk about quantum, quantum, that... They don't know what they are talking about because not even a quantum scientist knows what quantum mechanics is. Uh, there is a motto in uh, in, the, in science that if you if you if you think that you know what quantum mechanics is and how it works, that means that you don't know how quantum mechanics works. I think I think that's a quote from uh, Feynman, Richard P. Feynman. Yeah. These people stick to memes. Uh, in this case, linguistic memes. Healing, shamanism, or uh, psychic, or uh, quantum this, quantum that. There's a big deal about healing somehow. And uh, spirituality is a powerful meme uh, that creates powerful mimiplexes. But they don't, you see, they don't really quite understand what they're talking about. The same goes with religious people in another way. As a matter of fact, religious people usually know less about their um, holy scriptures if compared with people that are non-religious. I think quite a lot of it is down to the fact uh, it, it's not about knowing, it's about feeling good and feeling certain feelings and so... so it's, not about, it's not about knowing, uh, it's not about uh, uh, understanding the, know, the process of knowing, it's about feeling good and also feeling a part of a group. And this also happens with atheists and people that claim to be skeptics. The priority is being a part of a group. It's not really about... Uh, uh, a proper understanding of what skepticism actually means. They, of, they, they are often even over-skeptical, which is not really something productive. And uh, it's this feeling good is like, you know, there is a big motto in, uh, among spiritual people. Science is about uh, discovering, uh, which is true. Spirituality is about knowing. 
this is a powerful mean, but it's a completely nonsensical because it fails to describe the knowing, knowing what. Well, it is true that science is about discovering, but spirituality is about knowing is, is not an argument, it's meaningless. Knowing what, what you make up, or what, or what another person makes up, and then you come to believe that. And it's probably more, more about the illusion of knowing. So it's like, it's not... And an illusion is not necessarily a thing that is, that is not real. Uh, it's, it, it can be a mixture of things that are real and not real. But it's, it gives you a sense of knowing, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. But, and also the, the powerful part is that it's usually spirituality is very vague. While religion at least is more structured and uh, people know what they are supposed to do. So I have to go to the church, I have to open the Quran and read a little bit. I have to pray what to do. But spirituality is not like that. It's pretty much without any structure. So you are pretty much free to go wherever you want. Uh, you can believe that we are living a hologram, or you can believe that the planet is flat, or uh, or you don't care about that. You can believe like in the power of the fairies or the quantum touch. Uh, and very often it's quite disturbing. Um, I've seen that in Bali among uh, New Age Western people. Basically, what happens is something like this. Uh, the, uh, I, I've seen a scene that was quite disgusting. So basically, there was a we were in a um, in a bar. There was a concert, and uh, there was a girl sitting nearby, and there was a man behind that suddenly touched the girl quite sensually. And the girl uh, asked him, "What are you doing? Why are you touching me?" And uh, the guy said, "He was looking like surprised." I said, "But." I'm healing you because I have, I'm not about quantum touch. So you see, sexual harassment is no longer sexual harassment, it's healing, quantum healing now. I'm just healing your boobs, yeah. Oh my God, that's, this is so terrible. Never heard of that before. And then the problem is that the, the, those people are, that girl was so confused and obviously she was there looking for some spiritual revelation, whatever. The, the, I've seen people like easily falling easily into his beliefs. I convince him, oh, that, that, yes, this guy is not molesting me. He's trying to heal me. He's actually a, a, good, a good guy with the quantum touch. <laughs> yeah, why is it always m- men who come up with these horrible ideas? Uh, uh, well, women have their own ideas as well. So it's, Yeah, so, but not uh, about touching women, men's, men's willies. Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> Coming up from behind and saying... <laughs> I'm healing you. I'm just healing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. I can see your health growing here in your pants. <laughs> if that girl had uh, proper, proper critical thinking skills, then a person like that would Im- almost immediately highlight what the premises behind that are. So, are the premises valid? Is this guy really capable to heal quantum? And by the way, why me? Why not... Uh, yeah. Why, why me? That was maybe a pretty girl and not like the... The old lady in the corner, yeah. Yes, you see, but by having this immediate, like, a critical understanding of things, we really can prevent plenty of problems. We can prevent gullibility. We prevent, like, very ugly situations. I heard the people, I've lost everything, 
because of this, uh, uh, the engagement sure. with the spiritual beliefs. I've seen couples, uh, Western couples in Bali, they had like children, like two, three years old, and they wanted their children to, to perform a, a meditation and yoga, and uh, including colonoscopy every week. And uh, the problem is that there are no instit- authorities in Bali, they don't go to the police and they don't care. So they are pretty much free to... And they think they are right. They, are, they think that they, that's the spiritual way. They are absolutely uh, right in doing that and everybody else is wrong. So you see, that the problem is that... Uh, I mean, spirituality is taking too much, like... Um, I think we are uh, underestimating the, the dangerousness of spiritual beliefs. Uh, it could be very dangerous. It could be actually very dangerous. And, and, and also not to mention like the... Uh, often like a miniplex, a spiritual miniplex becomes more and more institutionalized and becomes a cult or a sect. And this, this, the problem is serious. I repeat also because it's entering the field of psychotherapy. There are many psychologists, many psychotherapists, certified psychotherapists, that talk about, uh, you know, angels or the healing power of crystals or like the healing power of yoga and the cleaning the soul, all sorts of nonsense. Mm-hmm. So uh, can you tell us about your, what's, um, what you're currently working on and how can people find out more about uh, your work? Well, the, well we, we, you can check at the main website, which is uh, eofproject.org, and there's a little bit of description. We are working with people also like uh, one-to-one. Um, uh, we are working with a course. We are developing another course. We are also working, uh, uh, we are realizing a documentary uh, which is about metacognition, critical thinking and analysis of belief systems. Uh, the documentary is called All is Not Well. Uh, I think you can find the trailer online. Uh, when is it going to be out? Uh, no, we are work- that, the trailer is out, but we are, you are, curr- we are currently working on it. I think Susan, Susan Blackmore, by the way, will be in the documentary. Uh, she, she just accepted uh, because we had, a, uh, we had a chat like a couple of days ago she's quite enthusiastic about it and then we are working uh, with uh, other projects that are this little bit like long term um, the programs for schools uh, for the UN I was talking about earlier and uh, um, we have a project but is just an idea for now about creating an app uh, based on artificial intelligence, an app capable to uh, detect, to make a person uh, capable to detect logical fallacies in every sense throughout the, the daily life. Uh, and I think it could be very, 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 very interesting to have an app that does that and not a person. Because often when it is a person uh, that uh, highlights another person's logical fallacies, Usually what happens is that the other person engages what is known as ad hominem fallacy, which means the person attacks the, uh, the speaker without uh, by mean refusing to approach the arguments. But if it is like a computer machine that does that, then there, there cannot be ad, ad hominem fallacy. But well, probably the person will listen a little bit better. Uh, then also we, we have we are working on ideas about immigrations, about filtering, testing people, 
um, regarding their beliefs. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about especially Europe. Uh, because we believe that people have the right to live wherever they want in the world. Beliefs have not quite the right to migrate and to establish themselves in other parts of the world. Uh, by beliefs, I mean like d- uh, dangerous beliefs. Uh, but this is a, a little bit of delicate matter that goes back to freedom of religion. Uh, I think we should not promote freedom of religion. I think we should promote like uh, critical thinking about freedom of religion. Because as long as we promote and we glorify freedom of religion as a human right, I'm afraid that so long we will keep ignoring that that's against human right. When we talk about freedom of religion, we, we talk about the allowance, to, to, we talk the possibility to allow people educating their children about things like, for example, that the crime of apostasy must be punished uh, with the maximum pen- penalty, that, with death. That's not, it's nothing to do with freedom, it has nothing to do with human rights, sorry. So, but mainly now we are focused on uh, working with people, working with people in the course, their documentary, and, and uh, this is the, the, the priority we have right now, then we have other projects. Mm. All right. And if uh, someone will be at the 17th European Skeptics Congress, uh, they can uh, hear uh, listen to your talk as well, which will happen on Saturday. The September, uh, the twenty third of September. Yes. In the morning and in the afternoon, early afternoon. Uh, actually, starting at noon, we are gonna. You're gonna be on the panel that I'm chairing as well, which is a science, pseudoscience, and media debate panel. Looking forward to meeting you there, and thank you very much for coming on the show. Okay, thank you. So Thanks much. a lot. Okay. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you all. Bye. Ooh, I think this has been the most philosophically loaded uh, interview we've, we've ever done. Some good ideas there. Um, I, ca- I can certainly um, get behind the fact that some of the fears that people have are irrational fears and they dr- drive the behavior and they can drive some bad behavior. And so educating ourselves and educating ourselves about our biases is always a good thing to do. And the uh, logical fallacies um, uh, and just fallibility of our brain in general. So, mm. yeah, it'll certainly be very interesting to meet him in person uh, during the congress. Yeah, yeah. and I, I do subscribe to uh, this notion that we need to understand our waves of thinking and how our minds work, and uh, that is something that mo- uh, many. Uh, psychologically trained people and 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 researchers of psychology uh, do as well but we have to put all that together and try to understand why we do certain things and why we we think in certain ways so uh yeah but um yeah i think the key is to 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 make it absolutely clear to everyone and yeah yeah, and to reach as many people as, as possible, I guess. Yeah. All right, so next time we're going to uh, interview someone else. We are in try, trying to find the right time uh, to record interviews with people, um, but uh, you, you can expect some other very interesting topics. That means that today's show is coming to an end. So I'd like to thank both of you, Jelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. And until next week, when we come back with our new segmented episode, 
Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can